Hi, Emmy. So we are in Matthew 25. How is everybody tonight? We've been going through all the parables of readiness. We looked at the parable of the talents last week. We started it. We're going to, by God's grace, finish up the parable of the talents tonight. I'm going to read Matthew 25. Uh, verse 20 through 25. Remember, the master was going on a long journey. He left and entrusted all of his assets to three of his servants. We said that talents were not gifts and abilities as much as they were a lump of currency. They were the highest denomination of currency in that day. And so one servant got five talents, one got two, and one servant got one talent. We see the different responses here of how they are uh, handling what they've been endowed with. And we pick up in verse 20, as the master returns to reckon and settle accounts with his servants. You know, it's good for us to remember that just because the Lord didn't come yesterday and so far he hasn't come today, that he's still coming. Amen. 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 Some people get slack and they think, well, he's not coming. I don't need to get my act together now. I don't need to be faithful now. I don't need to pursue my calling now. But the truth is we need to live in a perpetual state of readiness. The Lord has endowed us and trusted us with his goods. He parted his goods and he gave them to his servants. And so uh, last week we had a little fun saying that we got the goods. And still, you know, this week you still got the goods. You're gifted, you're called, you're anointed. God has a purpose for your life. I can say without fear of contradiction that there's not one person here that God doesn't have a purpose for their life. I can say without fear of contradiction that there's not one person here that's not been endowed by heaven with gifts and talents and abilities and opportunities and callings. So the master returns and he settles up his accounts and we start in verse 20. So he had received, he who had received five talents came and brought five other talents, saying, Lord, you delivered to me five talents. Look, I have gained five more talents besides them. His Lord said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. He also, who had received two talents, came and said, Lord, you delivered to me two talents. Look, I have gained two more talents beside them. His Lord said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. Verse 24 is where the fireworks start. Then he who had received the one talent, say one, he who had received the one talent came and said, Lord, I knew you were a hard man, reaping where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. And I was afraid and went and hid your talent in the ground. Look, there you have what is yours. So 
So we're going to stop there for right now. We might unpack a little bit more than what we just read, but we're going to take a look at what the master does and how he responds here. Uh, verse 18 and 19 kind of warn every soul that we are someday going to give an account to Jesus. How does that make you feel? Amen. It should put a little bit of the fear of the Lord in us. None of us should be too cocky. Oh, I can't wait to see Jesus, man. He's going to be happy to see me. I've just been walking in perfection. I got stuff to tell him. Can't wait till I get all my rewards. I'll never forget when Billy Graham was on a bed of sickness. They thought it was his deathbed. The doctor told him it didn't look like he was going to make it. And Billy Graham's only reply was, said, he said this in prayer. He said, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. Wow. That's humility. A man who's led more people to Christ, who's led more evangelistic outreaches, who's done more for the kingdom of God visibly and, and with notoriety and with integrity than anyone I can think of. And he didn't say, yeah, bring it on. I can't wait. No, he said, Lord, have mercy on me sinner so someday all of us will give an account to God either we will be at the judgment seat of Christ and that's for believers or for unbelievers they will stand at the great white throne judgment but one of the two listen if you're on the line for the great white throne judgment you messed up because that, that is where people give an account for their sin and have to answer for it themselves. If you stand before the judgment seat of Christ, you did the right thing. Why? Because you received Jesus and his blood now covers your sin. And the only thing we do at the judgment seat of Christ is we have our works weighed and they're tested and we're given a reward that we turn into a crown that we can lay at the feet of Jesus. But whether the great, the great white throne or the judgment seat, every soul that draws breath will give an account before God someday. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Every intellectual, every atheist, every, every scoffer and mocker, every single soul will give an account to God. It's an inescapable reality for all of us. Now, as we look around in our generation, we look around in our culture, we look around in our nation. I know this has been said before. Pastor Mike Girton said something along these lines. And I'm going to kind of ask you tonight, doesn't it seem like sometimes the wicked are winning? Doesn't it seem like sometimes evil is just progressing and, and, and no one can stop it and no one can speak to it and things are getting crazier and crazier and more out of control? Doesn't it seem like that sometimes? And the truth is, every single soul will give an account to God someday. The wicked might look like they're winning. The wicked may seem to get away with everything. But listen to me, in the end, nobody gets away with anything. Every sin that's not under the blood will be answered for. The next eight verses chronicle each servant's account of his doings, and he gives account to his master as he returns. And the master, after hearing the account, judges his servants. And this is a picture 
of what will happen when we stand before God. He will be the judge. Jesus will judge. Verse 20 through 21 is the accounting and the judgment of the servant who had the five talents. Now, it's interesting when we look at this, uh, we see the, the guy who had five talents comes back with 10, and that's a good thing. I want to point out one thing before we kind of jump in a little deeper. It should be interesting to us that the one who was given the most gained the most. Okay, and if you're not making the connection here, l- l- let me clue you in. God knows what he's doing when he pours out talents and abilities. God knows what he's doing when he gives people responsibility. God knows what he's doing when he gives someone a big portion. Are you getting this? Well, I want more. I want bigger. I want better. Be faithful with the little that you have. Be faithful with what you got. Utilize what you have. Maximize what's available to you. This guy got the most, and he acquired the most. God didn't make a mistake in giving it to him. Now, if this, came back, this guy came back and said, well, I, I buried one of the talents, and I blew the rest on the blackjack table, <laughs> then you'd be like, God, what in the world did you trust this guy for? But he had five, and he gained five, and he came back with ten. And that, that's a good thing. And I want you to understand, uh, we have what we can handle. I'm, I didn't get one amen. I got one yep. <laughs> Thank you for the yep, too. <laughs> so this guy was diligent, and he was disciplined, and God knew it. God gave him five, and, and this guy took them, and he was diligent and disciplined with them, and it paid off in the end. Do you know why? Because diligence and discipline always pays off. Remember that. Well, I want to be lazy. I want to kick back. I want to take it easy. Consider the ant, you sluggard. Right? Diligence and discipline always pays off. The guy had five. He gained five. He came back with ten. He doubled what he had. And I want you to see something here. There's a principle here of duplication, a principle of multiplication. He, he doubled what he had. He multiplied himself. And that's what I want you to see. You and I, if we are faithful and diligent, will spiritually reproduce ourselves. What does it mean to double? What does it mean? It means reproducing yourself in somebody else. God didn't give us all we have and all these gifts and all these talents and all these opportunities just so we could puff ourselves up and have other people look at us and go, wow, aren't they terrific? No, God gave us that stuff so we could grow it and we could discipline it and we could bring it to the next level and then we could pour it into the next generation. We could pour it into our young men and our young women. Come on. It's a principle in here of duplication, of multiplication. And, you know, the scripture says what? Be fruitful and multiply. And that's not just for making babies. Although that's a good thing to be fruitful and multiply. And make children, amen? It's a good thing. But it's more than that. We need to reproduce and multiply our faith, our wisdom, our talent, our passion for the kingdom of God and pass it on to the next generation. You know, there's not a day that goes by that I don't think of Uncle Phil and how he ministered here and played the drums for years. You know, since I was a teenager, I used to sit out there and watch Uncle Phil play the drums. And you know what? He reproduced himself and many others. 
A lot of you took drum lessons from him. He raised up drummers. My own son took some drum lessons from him. When we honored him at his send-off there, we had all these drummers up here that he trained. If you were here for that, it was just an awesome time. And I want to tell you something. There's a guy who reproduced himself. Now, he could have done other things. He could have been at home. He could have been out making more money, but he took the time to pass on what God gave him, and it's become a legacy for him. And so you and I need to duplicate ourselves, need to spiritually reproduce. This guy doubled what he had, and the, the, the master was pleased with it. Now, the master's response to the guy with 10 talents is exactly what all of us should hope to hear. Well done, good and faithful servant. Listen, trust me, I haven't been there yet, but I know when I get there, that's what I want to hear. Well done, good and faithful servant. I don't want to show up and, and, and hear, what are you doing here? I don't want to show up and have everybody just going. I don't want to hear, man, what you could have accomplished if you just trusted me. Son, what you could have done if you just laid aside all those distractions. We want to hear it. Every one of us do. It's the affirmation of the master. It's that well done that all of us yearn for in our souls. It's vital for us to remember every day that the goal of life is not producing a huge financial portfolio. It's not maintain, uh, you know, maintaining spiritual abundance, physical abundance, abundance, just more and more heaping things on ourselves not to have an oppressive list of accomplishments or diplomas or degrees or to be highly esteemed by others. The goal of this life is to please the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. The goal of this life is Jesus's goal, to do the will of him who sent him. The goal of this life is to have the eternal approval of the one who saved us from the darkness and brought us into the light. We do well to remember those things. I got to be honest with you, and if you're being honest with me, the truth is we get up some mornings and forget that. And we run in every different direction, exhausting ourselves, frustrating ourselves, spending our time and energy on, on dead works, as the Bible calls them. And at the end of the day, sometimes we collapse into the bed and we haven't, we've done little to nothing for the kingdom of God. This guy duplicated himself. He multiplied what he had. He was diligent. He was, he was disciplined, and he was rewarded, and that's a good thing. So the, the list of accomplishments, the degrees, the material excesses, uh, the financial portfolio, not the main thrust of our lives. Not saying we can't do any of that because there's some good connected to that, but it can't be the main thrust of our lives. The master notes that this servant had been faithful over a few things. Say faithful. faithful. He'd been faithful over a few things. Now, well done, good and faithful servant. The, the, the faithfulness is the key here. Faithfulness is the quality of character God is looking for in all of his servants. God's not looking for perfection. He's not looking for, you know, uh, just being this big worker bee and doing so much and outdoing everybody else. No, he's looking for us to be faithful with the unique call of our own lives. What faithfulness looks like for me may not be what faithfulness looks like for you. 
There's things that, as a pastor, called to minister here behind enemy lines in New Yorkistan. There's things that I have to do. If you didn't laugh at that, you can just leave now. <laughs> but what faithfulness looks like for me is fulfilling my call, preaching the word, raising up disciples, all that. But for you, it might be different. But if I do what I'm supposed to do and you do what you're supposed to do, there's a reward for each of us. And that's the good news today. We're going to look at that and unpack that a little bit more. But it was faithfulness that God was looking for. You know, we can be productive to some degree and still not be faithful. God, I'm producing stuff. God, I'm, I'm making headway. God, I, 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 I got a pile of stuff. God, everybody thinks I'm terrific. We can be productive to some degree yet still not be faithful. How is this possible? When we produce fruit, but we do it with the wrong motives. We're productive, but not faithful. Why do we do what we do? To impress others? To deal with our own internal conflict? To get the guilt off of our lives? Why do we do what we do? If we don't do it because we love Jesus out of a relationship, it's a wrong motive. And it may produce some fruit in spite of ourselves, but it doesn't constitute faithfulness. Man, that's good preaching tonight. I think that that's probably enough. Let's just go home. You want, you want to go to the diner, Tony? We, we're, that was good enough, right? We can be productive and not faithful. Here's the second way. We can produce fruit, but fruit that's far below our potential. Oh, look what I produced, Lord. The, you know, uh, two apples. And God says, you should have, a vineyard, you should have a, an orchard by now. Wow. So I produce something, but it's far less than my God-given potential. So it was productive, but it wasn't faithful. Number three, uh, the third way we can be productive and not faithful is when we produce fruit, but we do it out of a sense of duty, not out of a sense of love. We don't do things out of duty, out of religious obligation. I talked to a man one time. He was a Jewish man, and he, I said, what are you doing on this day? He, he said, well, uh, I'm, I have obligations on that day. Oh, I want to fall down the stairs. That was a quick little step there. He says, I have obligations, religious obligations to fulfill on this day. And I was a Christian at the time, and something just touched off of my spirit, and the Holy Spirit just showed me there's no fruit in that. Why? Because when we do things out of obligation instead of relationship, it's just religious. And religiosity produces nothing eternal. But when we do it out of relationship, Jesus, I'm going to spend the extra time. I'm going to go the extra mile. I'm going to lay my life down, not for them, not for the organization, not for the notoriety, but just because I love you. And with a thankful heart, I do it without complaining. <laughs> You know, that's another way we can be, you know, produce a little fruit but not be faithful is we, when we do it, we do it with complaining. Did, did any, anybody ever complain their way out of a blessing? Let me just raise both of my hands. I've done that. You know, I did something good, but I complained the whole way through. By the time I got done, I, I, I accomplished something, but there was no God reward attached to it. So we can be productive, but, but still not be faithful. God is looking for faithfulness. 
Matthew 7, 21 through 22 is a warning to the performance-based religious works crowd. Listen to this. Matthew 7, 21 through 22 is a scripture that gives all of us great pause. Not everyone, Jesus speaking, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wondrous works in your name? And what does Jesus say? I never knew you. Look at the list of things. Cast out demons. That's pretty high-level spiritual stuff, right? That's not casual, uh, you know, kind of just... No, I mean, uh, we prophesied. I mean, spiritual gifts in operation. Casting out demons. Do many wonders in your name. The religious crowd doing religious works. Well, listen to me. Doing things in his name. Notice what it said. In your name, in your name, in your name. Doing things in his name is not the same as doing them out of relationship. And there's a reward when we do the matter of relationship. Verse 21 lists the twofold reward for the faithful servant. Now, how many are excited that uh, when we're faithful, there's rewards attached to it? Let me encourage you tonight. If you're going through stuff and it's hard and you can't see the point in it, the point is someday God will reward you for, for enduring the hardship, for enduring the yoke, for taking the criticism, for, for feeling the heat and, and, and walking through the fire. There's a reward for all of that. The enemy likes to tell us that, you know what, you, this is all stupid. You're going through this for no reason. You should just quit. Well, he's a liar. Because there's a reward attached to every act of spiritual obedience. There's a reward attached to everything we endure. This servant, who was deemed faithful, would receive a twofold reward. The, I mean, listen to what he says here. The Lord said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. There it is. It's the faithfulness. L now listen, I will make you ruler over many things. Say many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. So here's the twofold blessing that was attached. It's the two-part reward. Number one, an increase in spiritual authority. I will make you ruler over many things. You see, in the kingdom of heaven, those who have been faithful in the millennial reign, those who have been faithful will rule and reign with Christ. Is this on? Anybody want to rule and reign with Christ? Well, pastor, I wasn't counting on that. I just don't like hot places. And so I was just, if I make it to heaven, well, that, listen, you and I need to live in such a way that there's a reward attached that we're obedient, that we're faithful, that we're diligent. We're going to rule and reign with Jesus. Look what it says here. You are faithful in the little things. And, and, and God looked at that and he said, I will make you a ruler. That's spiritual authority, a ruler over many things. So the first part of our reward for being faithful is an increased spiritual authority and that's a good thing the second reward is this eternal peace in the presence of God enter into the joy of your Lord I don't know about you but that sounds a lot better than hell <laughs> and you know what I deserve hell 
Maybe you don't, but I do. I was real bad. No, I'm just kidding. We all deserve it. I was just messing with you. Some people are like, No, I deserve to be separated from God for eternity because of my sin. But Jesus willingly paid the price for my sin and broke the power and the dominion over, over my life and over your life so that when I die, I don't have to answer for it and I don't have to pay for it with eternity in hell. Because of what Jesus has done, when I'm faithful to the call, when I'm diligent to use the gifts and abilities, there's a reward attached to it. Eternal peace in the presence of God. Enter into the joy of your Lord. Some people are going to have sorrow and misery and weeping for eternity, and it's unnecessary because Jesus died for everyone. Whosoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. But because we've called upon the name of the Lord when we're faithful and we're diligent, there's a reward attached. And, you know, I'm not saying that, you know, you got to work and have all this stuff and be all these things or you're not going to heaven. What I'm saying is God rewards every act of obedience in our lives. Verse 22 through 23 highlight the second service servant and his productivity. So the guy with five talents was productive and he was rewarded and and we see you know a kind of a pattern here that's going to reproduce itself in verse 22 we get to the man who was given the servant who was given two talents now uh we noted last week it's human nature for everybody who to want the most well i want the five talents well maybe two talents is just about all we can handle right i don't know some days i would like less talents But the guy had two talents. It says here, he who had received the two talents came and said, Lord, you delivered to me two talents. Look, I have gained two more talents. Now, the same response. His Lord said to him, what we all want to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. So really similar to the the guy who was productive and faithful with the five talents. And I, I want you to see that. This highlights the productivity of both servants. He was given two, he gained two. He brings back four talents to his master. Now four is less than 10. Is, is that still true? I know we have new genders and new math and I'm not... Ten is still more than four, right? Common core, that's true too. This guy only brought back four. The other guy brought back ten, but both received similar, if not identical, rewards. And then again, the human nature, it's the guy who, well, well, I want a bigger reward. Well, you know, when you're faithful with much, you're rewarded according to much. To whom much is given, much is required. If God requires much from whom much is given to, then he rewards much to those who are faithful what what they've been given. Don't ask me to say that again. (laughs) I'm a little dizzy after that, but I think it made sense the first time. Four is more than 10. This guy comes back with four. He's, re- he's, he's blessed. He's rewarded. Uh, and I want you to see something. This proves that God isn't looking at numbers and stats and profit margins as much as he's looking for the faithfulness of his followers. 
Better to be a doorkeeper in the house of my Lord. Well, what kind of reward does a doorkeeper get? If he's faithful to do his job, he gets the same reward as everyone else. He gets to be in God's presence for eternity. He gets the affirmation of his heavenly father. He gets to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Are you getting this? We don't have to compete with each other. We don't have to outdo each other. We don't have to step on each other. Our reward is not predicated on if we, you know, if we beat everybody else. That's the corporate world. That's not the kingdom of God. This guy is blessed. He's rewarded. He only had two. He produced four. It's less than 10, but he gets the same reward. I don't know if they still do this, but I remember when graduates could see how they ranked in their class. And they would have it like on your report card, you know, like the poor guy who was like 249 out of 250. You know, it's like, oh, there's only one person dumber than me. (laughs) Come on, we're all friends here, right? But do you remember that? Did you get, anybody remember getting your report? They still do valedictorian and all that stuff, right? So the top two. But, you know, when I graduated high school, they, they gave you your rank. It was just, you know, this out of that. And, you know, the guy was 250 out of 250. He didn't get a prize or anything, but that wasn't me, by the way. But I remember that, and I, and I thought about that as I was looking through this text. And, you know, you could see where you ranked. Now, our rewards in the kingdom of God are not based on rank. They're based on faithfulness. As long as we're faithful with what we've been entrusted with and we do what we were called to do, we will receive the affirmation of God and, and we will spend eternity in his presence. It's good news today, amen. Now, I said verse 24 uh, through 27 is where all the fireworks started. And uh, the truth is that the first two servants, you know, it went pretty well, right? If, if you were online here and you watched the first two guys go through, you'd be like, well, this isn't so bad. <laughs> but in 24, it begins, while the first two servants had great results and great rewards when they stood before the master, the last servant with the one talent did not. Again, we've got to acknowledge this that the one who was given the most produced the most, and the one who was given the least produced the least. God knows what he's doing. God knows what the person who can only handle one, handle two. God knows the person who could pastor 100, could pastor 2,000. God knows what he's doing. Don't question, don't complain, don't say, no, be faithful with what you've got. He gives to the guy the one, and he doesn't even do one thing with the one he's been given. We're going to look at this guy here and unpack his predicament, but it's not pretty. The first two had these great results, but this guy, you know, he made so many mistakes here. We, we know he had the least and produced the least. Please understand and perceive, uh, understand this. The perceived lack of ability or means doesn't automatically make us rewardable before the Lord. Did you get that? I'll I'll say it again. A perceived lack of ability or means doesn't automatically make us rewardable for the Lord. Oh, I didn't have many gifts, Lord. I didn't have any talents, Lord. I, I didn't have much to work with, Lord. So, you know, can you just reward me? I'm and so there are so many people who have this attitude. 
Well, I don't have these assets and I don't have these abilities and I, don't, you know, I was born on the wrong side of the tracks and I've been poor. You know, I, I grew up so poor I couldn't even afford to pay attention. I mean, you can't expect me to produce anything. The lack, and I say the perceived lack because you know what? All of us have more than we really know. And the enemy tries to tell us we don't have potential, we don't have ability, we don't have opportunity, but he's a liar. So it's the perceived lack of ability and means. We think, oh, I don't, I don't have it. That doesn't just automatically give us a pass here. Oh, Lord, I was poor, I was oppressed, I was overworked and underpaid and underappreciated. I was, I was too down the food chain, and I, I couldn't produce anything with my time and my faith and my gifts, so I'm exempt, right? Wrong. None of us are exempt. Proverbs 22.2 says this, the rich and the poor have a common bond. The Lord is the maker of them all. God doesn't treat the rich any different than he does the poor. The rich don't have any advantage over the poor when they stand before God, and the poor don't have any advantage over the rich when they stand before God. The poor person says, well, I was poor, so you got to bless me. No, oh, I was rich, you know, so, you know, I'm special. You got to treat me differently. No. Oh, it's so quiet on Wednesday night. I know this grates against the culture and the class warfare and, you know, hate the rich and tax the rich and, and, and this and that and poverty. And I, I, I didn't, you know, <sighs> there again, I guess that's the world and it doesn't look like it's ever going to change. But folks, it's not the kingdom of God. There are some poor people who don't have two nickels to rub together that are going to walk into heaven to the sound of the angels praising, the Father's voice booming, well done. They're going to have eternal rewards. Woo! And they're going to be rich people who stand on the outside and are stripped of everything and enter into heaven but to suffer the loss of all things. So the rich and the poor, we don't... We don't have any excuses here. Uh, we, if we perceive that we don't have means or ability, uh, you know, it's not going to be a valid excuse in the eyes of the Lord. The servant was the one talent who produced nothing, uh, had what all unproductive people had. He had excuses. Well, I produced nothing, but here's why. You know, I could see him with a PowerPoint presentation and a pointer, and a chart, and a bar graph. Just the way I think. Pray for me. So, you know, he's in the presence of the master. He's given an account for what he had. He feels like he didn't, you know, have the ability to be successful with what he'd been given. And so he has some excuses, and excuses are what all spiritually unproductive people have. The servant with the one talent produced nothing, and he had a list of excuses. Now, listen, the list of excuses he uses to try and legitimize his unproductivity is outrageous. I'm going to show you. You might have read that and go, well, it doesn't look good. It's outrageous. I'm going to show you where his excuses were rooted. The first excuse that he had was this. Lord, I knew that you were a hard man. I don't know if you're paying attention to that. I don't know if you... If you heard what he just said to his master, 
but it, it didn't sound like a compliment. <laughs> this guy's your judge. You just told him he was a hard man. There's different ways to say that that I won't say in church. But this is his excuse. Lord, I knew that you were a hard man, reaping where you don't sow and gathering where you spread no seed. And he's just like, you know, it's unbelievable that this is his excuse, that he tries to use this on his master. He's basically saying, it's your fault. It's your fault because you are so difficult and so shrewd and so demanding, I can't please you. Stuff that's under the hood that you don't see right away. It sounds like, oh, you know, you're a hard man. You, you, just, you just blamed it on him. Didn't he give you a talent? Wasn't it a large sum of money? Didn't he trust you? D didn't he give you free reign to do with it like he did with everybody else? But your excuse is that you're a hard man. Your excuse is you're impossible to please. Mankind has always blamed God and has always blamed others for their own failings. It's human nature to blame others. It's human nature to blame God. Adam and Eve were in the garden, and let's just take a look at Adam and Eve. They're in the garden, and they decide to go apple picking. This is when my wife says, you know, let's go apple picking in the fall. This is why I say no. <laughs> Not just because it's bow season and I don't want to pick apples unless there's a pile of them under my tree stand. But, uh, you know, Adam and Eve went apple picking, and it didn't turn out good. And so they're in the garden, and they eat from the forbidden tree, and they partake, and Eve eats, and she gives it to Adam, and he eats. And then they wound up perceiving that they were naked. They got ashamed, and they hid themselves from God. See, I don't want this to happen at Barton Orchard, so... God confronts them. Why? Because they're hiding. Adam, where are you? And he says, what happened? What have you done? And their response is the perfect example of fallen human nature where everybody takes the blame but us. Genesis 3, 11 through 13. Who told you you were naked? Asked the Lord God. Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? Notice he knows the answer, but he wants to hear them say it. And here's the, here's the explanation. And the man answered, it was the woman who you gave me. <laughs> she gave me the fruit and I ate it. <laughs> and verse 13, the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? The serpent deceived me and I ate it. And I gave it to my husband, and he ate it. So Adam blamed Eve, and Eve blamed the serpent, and they passed the buck and kicked the can, but nobody takes responsibility. If you notice in this story how God handles it, he doesn't say, oh, yeah, you're right, it was there for, oh, yeah, you're right, it was there. No, he gives judgment to the man, he gives judgment to the woman, he gives judgment to the serpent. God doesn't, God doesn't accept flimsy excuses. God doesn't allow us to blame everybody and everything for our own poor behavior, our poor choices, our lack of diligence. Oh, welcome to church on Wednesday night. Always a happy, clappy, goose bumpy message. 
But the excuse that this guy uses is pretty much, you know what? It's your fault. You're too hard to please. And, you know, he gives a second excuse. And the second excuse he lists is this. I was afraid. I was afraid because, you know, you're impossible to please. And I knew no matter what I did, you weren't going to be happy. You know, so I just buried it in the dirt. No. And, 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 you know, I was afraid. I was afraid of failing. I was afraid of the hard work it would take. I was afraid of you. Fear will always be a factor for us, but it'll never be a valid excuse. We can never go to the Lord, I, I would have, I should have, I wanted to, but I was afraid. And God will go, okay. No, fear will always be present. Fear will always be a factor, but it will not be a valid excuse. I want to tell you three things about fear. Number one, fear is a spirit. Let me say this again. Fear is a spirit. Oh, you're getting too spiritual. No, fear is a spirit, and it's not from God. And, I, and you know why. Because 2 Timothy 1.7 says it plain as day. For God has not given us a spirit of fear. The spirit of fear was used even in the Old Testament where God would send it out to, to undo the enemy. He would send fear into enemy, the enemy's camp and armies would turn upon themselves. You can read it in the Old Testament. A spirit of fear would move through the camp and they would, they would kill each other and Israel would go out there and go, well, well there's nothing to do. Fear is a spirit, and it is not from God. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but power and love and a sound mind. So understand, fear is spiritual. And if we are crippled with fear, attacked with fear, if we're struggling with fear, we need to fight a spiritual fight and overcome fear. Perfect love overcomes fear. It's God's love. You want to put fear in the dirt for good? Bask yourself in the love of God until he gives you an illumination of how much he really loves you. And it will drive every ounce of fear away. Fearfulness, so fear is the spirit number two. Fearfulness is both a sin and an existential threat to our souls. Don't take fear lightly. Fear is a threat to your soul. The enemy wants to make us fearful to the point where we are so crippled by fear, we refuse to do the will of God. Fear is an existential threat to every person because there are some people who will balk at serving Christ because they're afraid. Afraid of what others will think. Afraid of what their parents will say. Afraid of what it'll cost them. Afraid they'll miss out on some fun. Fearfulness is sin. A lot of times we don't think of fear as sin. But it is a sin because it is the exact opposite of faith. And without faith, it's impossible to please God. If God says I can, if God says I should, if God says I'm able, and my fear says, nope, I don't believe God, I believe my fear, that's sin. Revelation 21.8 says, be but the fearful and unbelieving and the abominable and murderers and whoremongers and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars shall have their place in the lake of fire, which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Did you hear the first member of the group here? The fearful. 
and the unbelieving. What? You mean being afraid, being unbelieving, just being too scared to do what God says? That, that's right in there with murderers and whoremongers and saucers and idolaters. Not only that, it topped the list. Fear is a spirit. Fear is an existential threat to our souls. Fear is sin. And we've got to drive fear out of our lives. Number three, Fear is something that every child of God must learn to overcome. Well, you know, if I just had enough faith or I was mature enough or smart enough or I've had enough success, then I, I just wouldn't be afraid. No, listen to me. All of us are always going to be afraid sometimes. The person who says, I'm not afraid of anything, you know, that might be true when it comes to man, you know, uh, but there are things beyond our control. There are things in the spiritual realm. There are things that the enemy can do that will scare even the most uh, grounded saint. I might look at people and say, I fear no man. They're flesh and blood. I'm not scared of them. But there are certain things that still scare me. Now, if you're thinking, Pastor, you need to resign. We don't want a scared cat, Pastor. All of us are, are going to have to deal with fear. Listen to this quote from Nelson Mandela. It's powerful. I've heard military people quote this. I've heard SEALs quote it. Mandela said this, I have learned that courage is not the absence of fear, but the triumph over it. The brave man is not the one who does not fear feel afraid, but the one who conquers fear. Powerful truth right there. All of us are going to feel fear, but those of us who are born again and filled with the Spirit of God and filled with the Holy Ghost are going to be the ones who overcome fear. Fear will be present, but fear will be overcome because greater is he who's in you than he who is in the world. So, verse 26 through 30 give a sobering list of judgments against the unproductive servant. The first two got the twofold blessing, but th this guy, the first thing the master says to him, You wicked and lazy servant. Ouch. That's a far cry from well done, good and faithful servant. That's about as opposite as it can get. You wicked and lazy servant. Oh, you know, couldn't you just, you know, be a little less disappointed? Wicked, really wicked, lazy? Uh, I, I was scared, remember? In his master's estimation, this guy didn't even do the bare minimum. And that's why he calls him wicked, because it's like you didn't even try. Do you ever get around somebody, somebody that you're relying on, someone you're dependent on, someone that has to meet a need in your life, and they don't even try? That's the most infuriating thing. Look, if you try and it flops, hey, we all have bad days. But if you don't even try, that's indifference, and it's infuriating to God. Infuriating. Am I saying that right? I'm making up my own words over here. He calls them wicked and lazy because, man, man, you didn't even do the bare minimum. We all know people who are guilty of not even doing the bare minimum, and we've all been guilty of it ourselves at one time or another. The master said, you know what? You should at least banked it so you could have made some interest. 
a little bit of interest. What, what's the interest rate they, they give you at the bank now? Did, zero? You get zero. Wow. So this guy, if he was living now, he could have said, there's no interest. <laughs> but come on, master, lighten up. But, I mean, there used to be a little something, even if you make 1%, 2 3%, right? This guy is saying, if you would have banked it, if you loaned it, if you put it in a CD, if you did so, you could at least made a little interest. And you did less than nothing. And you, you acquired nothing with what I gave you because you didn't even try, and that makes you wicked, and that makes you lazy. Verse 28 through 29 the lazy servant is stripped of the very little that he had. He takes away the one talent from him. Now, uh, listen to me. The productive servant who, who had the five is given the unused talent of the lazy servant. What do you guys think about that? It's, it's not very politically correct, is it? It's not spreading the wealth around. It's not you know, letting your privilege go. Governments and corporations and cultures have embraced the absurdity of rewarding mediocrity and laziness, but listen, God never will. God will never reward mediocrity. He will never reward indifference. He will never reward laziness. You say, why not? Why? He's merciful, but he's just. And this is about the justice of God. Now, the, the mercy of God covers us a lot when we, we do our best and still don't measure up. But when we don't even try, we can't expect God to reward that. Oh, everybody gets a trophy. Everybody gets a participation ribbon. Everybody's a winner. We don't keep score. <laughs> Hate it. Hate it. My wife and I used to sit on the sidelines keeping score ourselves. wrong it's not right it's destroying the fabric of our society it's taking away the the god-given desire for us to use our gifts and excel and be productive governments corporations and cultures reward the laziness and the mediocrity but god never will god is offended by those who serve him with laziness and indifference because he's been much better than that to us. He didn't give us a little dabble, do you? He didn't give us the bare minimum. He sent his only begotten son to die for a sinner like me. How dare I serve him, Tony, with indifference? How dare I serve him with laziness? How dare I just say, well, you know, I want a participation trophy. You know, I found out a little while ago I was a trophy husband, a participation trophy. My poor wife. Not many people are laughing. That's probably good news, right? <laughs> so this guy stripped the unused talent because it was unused. It was just buried. It was unused. It's given to the guy who had five. So the one who's most productive is, is given more. And, and, you know, and, and if you read the text there, you see how, you know, uh, God is saying he's going to take the people who are productive and work hard and are fruitful and all these things, and he's going to give them more, and he's going to uh, give them more assets and more spiritual authority, and that's good news for us, and it's a motivation for us to be spiritually productive. God's word to the lazy man is a rebuke. Listen to what Ephesians 4.28 says. 
Let him who stole steal no longer, but rather let him labor, working with his hands what is good, that he may have something to give him who is in need. You see, Christians can't do the bare minimum. Christians can't be lazy and wicked. Christians can't steal anymore. Well, I'll just get it from the government. I'll just write it off on my taxes. I'll just, I'll just look for this or look for that. Or You know, Christians have to be productive. Look what it says here. Let him who stole steal no longer, but rather let him labor, working with his hands. Ooh, I said the L word in church. That he may have something to give him who has a need. See, when we work and we're productive and we're spiritual, uh, spiritually productive, not only do we meet our needs and cover our needs, but we have enough extra to bless others. And that's the point of the drill. God wants us to have enough to meet our needs and to bless others. When Charles goes on the mission field there, it's out of our abundance that we are able to bless that ministry and to sow finances into the Gambia and watch God do amazing things. And that's because you've been diligent, you've worked hard, you've been successful, you've been spiritually productive to the point that you have an excess to now we can sow into the kingdom of God and watch God do amazing things, amen? Now, listen, you didn't think all that abundance was just for you. This is where I'm going to lose everybody. That abundance is to help others. And that's the point of what he says, steal no more, work with your hands, you know, meet your needs, pull your weight, and have enough to be a blessing to others. Verse 30 is a hard verse to swallow as it suggests the unproductive individual. Look what he says, depart from me, you wicked, lazy, to where what? There's weeping and gnashing of teeth. Does verse 30 scare the heck out of anybody? Man, this guy, you know, like, what happened here? Yeah, he, he messed up. He, he buried the talent. He, he was lazy. He was unproductive. He was even insulting. You're a hard man. But this verse is hard to swallow. Depart into outer darkness where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. This suggests that unproductive individuals who claim to be believers may, in fact, be unconverted. Listen to that. A lack of productivity making us unproductive is an indication that we may in fact be unconverted. Well, you're religious, but you're lost. Well, you're religious, but you're not born again. You uh, talk about spiritual things, and you have a form of godliness, but you deny the power thereof. You, you talk about Jesus, but you don't have a personal relationship with him unproductivity is an indication that you may be unconverted because once we get converted, we're like, Jesus, I gotta be about my father's business. I gotta be doing something for the kingdom of God. I gotta tell somebody about Jesus. Well, that's all I got for you tonight. A powerful parable tonight. 
telling us to be diligent and ready. So many powerful things in there. Let's just bow our heads. I'm going to pray that the Lord would have these truths stick in our hearts so that they can produce fruit in us. Lord, all the things we heard, and there's so much that you talked in there for us. I pray, Lord God, that each of us would get what we needed to get tonight from you, Father that you would teach us to be diligent and productive and, and you would teach us to cast off laziness and to, to face fear head on and, and, and to not be, you, you know, those who would just be, you know, slightly fruitful but really not faithful. Teach us to be faithful, God, with the gifts and the talents and the abilities and the opportunities that you've given us. Teach us to be faithful with the little that we have, to maximize what we have so that we can receive an increase in spiritual authority and be a bigger blessing to other, a bigger threat to the kingdom of darkness, a bigger trophy of your grace. I pray that every one of us here would be able to hear you say, well done, good and faithful servant that we live ready and watch for his coming. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Give him praise tonight.